Equity work is framed as a necessary burden. But we believe that it's work worth doing. This podcast is all about how to reframe equity work from just fighting injustice to building worth that brings justice, meaning the needs of everyone. Worth, worth. Desmond Spann, aka the Lux of Light, getting right on the mic, teaching life with that worth, worth. The imaginer, genius awakener, educator in the art of contemplating worth, worth. Podcast for teachers in the class to focus on the heart of the craft. Worth, worth. Wow. A refrain from the blame and the shame and the pain and disdain, cause we gain from that. Worth, worth. What's good, y'all? This is Desmond Spann, and welcome to the Worth Work Podcast. Today, Jesse and I get into power. We're going to talk about the relationship between power, self-worth, and race, and we're going to hear what happens when students feel empowered enough to make the adults listen. Uh, Before we start the episode, I want to leave you with this question. Why would we ever want to give up power? What do we gain from that? So with that, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode, and let's get into it, y'all. In this episode, we're going to look at power. We're going to talk about just why it's part of worth working. It. Maybe it goes without saying, maybe it's obvious for folks, but what I think about for myself in exploring power as a way to develop some practices around how I feel it in the moment with the classroom, with students, or even like with other adults in the building. It's good to have an understanding about what it is and then ways to use it differently that's not based in default conditioning and the need to kind of self-protect. So that's the impetus, if you will. Like the question is, is just like, how do we use power in a way that can bring equity and inclusion to classroom spaces as well as the world. (laughs) The world at large. Yeah. So to get into it, what comes up for you, Jesse, when you're contemplating power? Yeah, I'm feeling it personally, collectively. Start with the personal. Where do I feel it in my body? And when I'm empowered, I can tend to feel it like right in my chest, solar plexus areas. Like, yes, I'm like using all of my genius and gifts to help make the world a better place. That's when I'm empowered, right? When I'm feeling threatened by power or not sure of my own power, I get in my head, mm. thoughts spiraling, mm-hmm. negative self-talk. Mm-hmm. So I was just being aware of that, you know, the dynamics of power within my own body and thinking. On a collective level, I've been contemplating just like power in the sense of the hierarchies that we live in. Zoom in way out. It's like if you have access to the things you need with power, it's like food, mm-hmm. water, shelter. Yeah. In our, in our culture, in, in, in human civilization today, it's, it's money, you know, and that's why mm-hmm. there's so many food metaphors for money. It's like, get that, <laughs> that cake, that, that bread, that dough. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, This is actually off a bell hooks quote um, from her book, Teaching to Transgress, is it was only when I began to interrogate my fear of power that I began to understand that power itself was not negative. Mm. I think for a lot of my life, it's like I tend to like look down on people of power if they were abusing their power or just, Mm -hmm. but secretly it's like we kind of want that power. We want to feel, you know, in control and that we have worth in other people's eyes. Right. The power to like influence that sense of how you're seen. Yes. Right. And treated. My experiences of power 
often it's on the other side of the empowered. I guess let me say it a different way. Like, yeah. you know, growing up as a black kid, I'm navigating power structures mm-hmm. to get my needs met, yeah. not from a place of my inherent self-worth as a human being. Yeah. Right. You know, and again, it wasn't an intentional thing. It's just one of those, this is the default of the culture, that mm-hmm. there's a sense of having to prove yourself first before you have power. Yeah. That's one of those things in order to begin to use power in a way to empower others and make change and bring inclusion. We have to recognize that every person has power. Yeah. They may not hold high positions to influence a lot of people with their power um, at any given moment, but they still have powers to choose, right? Powers, mm-hmm. what they pay attention to and don't pay attention to, what they listen to and yeah. you know, who they trust. And I think when we talk about what power is, understanding that really it's it's a force and it can be used how any force can be used, whether, you know, to create and build something yes. that helps us or create and build something that destroys us, mm-hmm. right? Or destroy things that aren't helping us or destroy things that do help us. And I think we have to interrogate it for ourselves to understand that it's not the force that's the issue, it's yeah. the use of it. Yes. Yeah. How would you define power? I mean, on one sense, it's like energy. Mm-hmm. In another sense, it's like the corruption of power often, right. you know, comes into the conversation. Yeah. I'm going to read it from Atlas of the Heart, or at least I'm going to paraphrase it from Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown, because um, she quotes Martin Luther King's definition of power, which I really like because it's pretty succinct and simple. And it's really just the ability to take care of your needs and affect change. Mm. Right. And I don't think he actually says take care of your needs, you know, and how I internalize the definition of power is, you know, our ability to take care of our needs at once. Mm. And I would probably add the ability to, when we're not able to take care of our needs at once, we need something to change. We have power to make that change happen. Yeah. And that's my kind of definition that I, that I roll with. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Well, based on what you're saying earlier, I feel like getting into education helped me become aware of power. Mm. Like I worked for Step Up for a number of years and that's where I first had like conversations about race, courageous conversations about race where it's like, oh, I have a certain amount of power because of my skin color in Mm -hmm. this country. Yeah. Yeah. I think that right there is, there's this whole uh, graphic, it's a wheel, wheel of privilege or power. And basically it's like the closer you are to the center, the closer you are to privilege and power. And the further you are out from the center, the more marginalized you are, right? And it adds all the different ways that we identify. Uh, race was one yeah. of them, right? Obviously, yeah. you know, sexuality, gender, able-bodiedness. Yeah. So it's set up in a circle. Set up in a circle, right? And like, you know, each identity has like, you know, an equal part of the circle. And then towards the inside, you would see like, so if we're talking about race, the closer you are in the center, the more power you have. So the closer you are to white, the more power you have. If we talk about in the realm of wealth, the rich you are, the more power you have. Yeah. It's like when I was looking at this wheel, kind of seeing like all the categories that are close to power, these are the people that we inherently listen to. Mm. Right. These to are the write people. books mm-hmm. in places, politicians. We inherently listen to, or even if we don't want to listen to them, they tend to have easier times getting their voice out being heard mm. through society. And again, these are generalizations, right? Obviously, individual experience always varies. Yeah. But when we think about a tweet from Elon Musk can like affect the stock market, 
in the crypto world. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, that's a degree of power, right? And, you know, from what I know about Elon Musk and I can see, he looks like a rich white man to me. Yeah. He could have some different backgrounds. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. That's a different, it might be another episode when we start talking about like identity and especially of race and like what you are, but what you present mm. and then how that affects how you're treated. Yeah. And then, and what we internalize. Yeah. Because yeah. of these structures of power around us. Yeah. So back to the courageous conversations, I was the first time of really owning my power or mm-hmm. being able to like write an, a racial autobiography talk to my parents about their own um, experiences being white. Mm-hmm. I think in that journey, it's almost like a spiritual awakening in a way of mm-hmm. just to like, oh, I can own this and I don't have to recoil from this. Because I think before I had that, I, as a white person, I wanted to like not, I didn't want to do the wrong thing or I right. didn't want to, um, you know, I, I became more detached from the system. I'm like, oh, I don't want to participate in that system. Right. You know, that's messed up. That's like where I was at personally. So in that sense of of being able to own my power, I, I look at power now as like I have genius and gifts and um, certain abilities that I can contribute to my community, to this world, to my family, to the place where I live. And when I do that, it empo- I feel empowered and, right. I, and I can give. I can yeah. receive, I can give, I can live a balanced, like, yeah, human life. Yeah, no, I like, I like that. The idea of, I think of the, meta, you know, the battery, like for power, right? Mm-hmm. And there is a, you know, positive, which, you know, that's what a, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, um, scientists out there. <laughs> but, you know, from the plus side, right, the electrons are flowing that way. And then on the negative side, they're going back in, yeah. right? Like it, it is about this generating of movement. And vibration that creates action. Yes. And nothing inherently bad or good about that. It just depends on what actions we're deciding to take and why we're deciding to to take them. There's something you you brought up too about like, you said awakening your spirit in a way. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking about the domain just now, like spiritual power. I'm a spiritual person for sure. Raised Christian as far as like religion goes. But my own practice as I cultivate my spirituality is not connected to any religion or dogma. It's just more of like those things taught me to turn inward, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And then by turning inward and then connecting with myself, the body, and understanding that, you know, there's innate wisdom within the body that I may not understand in the moments I'm feeling something, that guides me and guides you know, what I might do from moment to moment. Yes. I think even for folks who may not, you know, atheist, for those folks who don't subscribe to religion, I think what is missing, um, we need to recognize that there is something larger than us that affects us that can belong in the Spain, uh, excuse me, that, that can belong in the domain of the spiritual. Yes. And it doesn't have to be a spirituality where we're talking about gods and angels and demons it could just be a a fact that like the culture yeah the culture is definitely bigger than us you know we don't have the ability to unilaterally as a single individual say boop culture change Mm. right it's through a process of like okay you're doing work with other folks and then folks come together Mm. and then culture might change but that force that is culture 
and collective story and sense making that has a spiritual component to it that we need to pay attention to recognizing that we don't have individual power over it. And that kind of connects with, you know, the experience that I went through with, you know, the racial slur on the desk and just reminding me Mm -hmm. of my dehumanization and, you know, being alive at this time and me really calling us to, like, I don't blame the word, I blame the culture, Mm. right? And not blaming and shaming the culture, but just in a sense of like, we have to all do the work to change Mm. the culture so that the impact of these particular actions don't hit the same. And that requires all of us. And I think that's what we can use our power for, is right, wherever we're at, how do we act to begin to change the culture that allows more voices to be heard than aren't? Yes. Right? So they can get their needs met. And if there's a negotiation of needs that need to happen, there's at least like an agreement to like, all right, here's what we're going to talk about. Here's what we're going to negotiate. And, you know, we may not get everything we want, but hopefully we can get what we need Mm -hmm. um, and continue to move forward and then come back to the proverbial table Mm -hmm. uh, to renegotiate as needs and desires change because the world changes. Yes. Yeah. And you just said table. It makes me think of storytelling. You know, we're at that table. So when I was first sharing around courageous conversations, it was, I was in a place where I was around people who I worked with, who I could trust. And it was in me really listening and understanding stories from Black folk, Latinx folk, Asian folk, like people of color in our cultures, like uh, like just being able to take in their story mm-hmm. and be formed by it, like informed. And then being safe to share my story. Yeah. You know, and be able to speak my truth and be vulnerable and be like, I don't have it all figured out, I'm, but I want to, I want to like grow. Right. And I think about us as teachers in the classroom, we're teaching our subject matter, but we're also teaching, you know, maybe not with our words, but with our actions, how to interact with power. Right. How, what, when it's time to listen when it's okay, you have to be on. Dude, can everyone do me a favor and be on their best behavior? Because the principal is coming to observe me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. those little te- like lessons on power, or how you respond to certain power struggles that happen in the classroom. Right. Right. Is there a conversation? Do we circle up about it, or do do I just, as a teacher, say, "Oh, this is what it's going to be." Da 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 da. But you know. Right. Right. And then when we tend to go to that place of like deciding how things go and what needs to be without having a conversation, hearing the stories and hearing from all the folks and how they're affected. We deny the feeling and the connection to develop. Yes. And we can talk a little bit more about it later, but I'll say it now. One of the things we gain when we give up an aspect of power in the classroom is relationship. And I think from that relationship, like, again, it puts us in a more vulnerable space because, again, me and ungrading, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I am no longer using that as a stick or a carrot to influence your behavior. I'm relying on the trust that I've built and your trust in me to know that I'm leading this in your best interest. Yeah. Right? You're taking out the hierarchy of grading. Yeah. 
And from my experience, like that's what's happening. I have different conversations with students now. They land mm. differently too. Yeah. Right? Because that pressure is not there. Right. Because they don't have to talk to me. Yeah. Right. Like they don't have to that's deal with me. Yeah. You know, because, oh, here's a bureaucrat I got to get through to be able to. Because we leverage that. I leverage that in the classroom. Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, get your assignment in. Don't you want that A? Or get on task. Right, right. Come on, you got to get this in. That makes me think of just how do we empower outside the institution? Like in the institution, in education, we, we don't teach how to be empowered outside of the institution. Yeah. But there's, in our human experience, we're talking about spirituality talk about like empowering our physical bodies, empowering our emotions to mm -hmm. be emotionally intelligent, empowering ourselves intellectually to be able to think, contemplate. Yeah. Yeah. So many levels to power. Yeah. Now let's take two bars. Breathe, align, relax, and shine. This is an invitation to absorb whatever's coming up for you. So let's start with the breath. Long, deep, spacious breaths. Ken Gabo, social studies teacher extraordinaire, mentor of mine, and he's an RJ Club advisor. 
So he's someone who regularly has circles like in his space, RJ Circles Restorative Justice, and emphasizes student voice being heard, listened to, implemented. That was from an interview we had and I think getting to the heart of that, it's like a worth work practice right there. If we're confident in our self-worth, we're, we're ready to hear and take in the worth of the people around us and have that not, not only listen to it, but like implement, act on it, feel it. Yeah. Being able to listen in a way where you don't have to prepare a response because you have developed the ability to be self-secure with yourself, yes, which is redundant. <laughs> You've developed the ability to be self-secure, meaning that, and again, I'm getting this definition from Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown. Uh, great work. Read it. It's a great book. Shout out, shout out. Shout out. It's really just about like being okay with your mistakes, mm -hmm. the ways that you're not perfect. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing that's really subtle about that is to be okay, you have to make mistakes and be like, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, it doesn't mean that you just make mistakes. And I think this is the other thing that's implied is that, um, again, any mastering anything, uh, the Im implication is if you're just become accepting of making mistakes, then you're not going to continue to grow. Mm. And I will say that from my experience um, through rapping, and then just my lived experience teaching, it's like, I've just, I noticed that like, no, actually when I'm okay, when I make mistakes, then I'm willing to continue to do the work to not make that mistake. Mm -hmm. Right. And accepting, but if I'm not okay with making the mistake, then I don't go to those places. I don't go to the edge of my ability trying to make change happen or trying to do something new because... I don't want to make that mistake said another way, right? And this is what I hear a lot from my colleagues is that I don't want to do a harm. Mm -hmm. And of course you don't want to do harm, but in not maybe having a difficult conversation or not fully listening to your students, especially if they don't have the same background as you, you're causing harm, mm -hmm. right? Like the inaction on it causes harm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And part of getting to the space of self-security and getting to a space where, okay, I can hear somebody express a hard truth, listen, feel, take it in, feel whatever I feel yes. and know that it's okay. Yes. Then I can stay present with them and continue the dialogue, mm. the conversation and the work to heal whatever needs to be healed. That's the journey right there. Yeah. And that's the different use of power because if you if you maintain that self-security now you don't have to use any power to defend yourself yeah against the truth and we were talking about culture earlier and i think part of like being aware of this power mm -hmm. is starting to shift the culture where it becomes normal just to talk about race it right. becomes normal to talk about gender identity right it becomes normal to talk about pronouns and just like what how do you self-identify and how do you want to be known it becomes normal to be like oh yeah you this is actually what i prefer it becomes mm -hmm. normal to like share your truth right and like the macrocosm microcosm if i can begin to shift that within myself practice listening practice implementing like a, a sense of self-worth through whatever is going to work for me whether it's meditation journaling whatever those practices are that can shift how I am in the classroom. That can mm -hmm. shift how I interact with my family, with my colleagues. Yeah. But the invitation to work with is to shift, right? Yeah. From that sense of 
worth. So the, like with the mistake, it's like accepting the mistakes, mm. but then still having that impetus to want to grow and evolve and like learn from it. Right. And like one big practice that we talk about a lot is freestyle rapping. And that yeah. that like taught me to just to own mistakes. It's like I was talking to a student about this. It's like, oh, I don't want to rap this because it's cringe. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, that get the cringe factor is real. Right. Coming off corny, coming off cringe. Mm-hmm. That's that is your like vein of gold to get over. Because if you can embrace the cringe, right? Boom. Yeah. You're empowered just to like share your truth, share your flow, share your rap. When we freestyle at the end of these episodes, you'll hear mistakes. Mm-hmm. But it's like, but they're just that's what they are, just mistakes, and you just right. go at it again. And then right. you find these gems in there, and you find the find the, the the pearls in the heart of what you're trying to communicate. Yeah, I, I've since within this week redefined mastery for myself, which is mm. the self security piece. Okay, which is the okay with mistakes. So mm. if I'm pursuing mastery in anything, it's not I can't pursue perfection mm. because in order to get the mastery, I have to be okay with mistakes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. If I think in, in the context of freestyle rap, right, if I think that the best freestyle rap is the one that sounds like a written song where I get to edit out mistakes when I'm writing a song, you know, I get to enhance my voice, you know, yeah, yeah, with yeah. production techniques when I'm Put writing a song. Put in the right song. ad-libs at the right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I get I get to do all these things to polish it up to, to increase the quote-unquote perfection of the verse, then... That's not mastery of freestyle. Nah. Like mastery of freestyle is how do I respond when I repeat myself? Or how do I respond when I get tongue tied? And not even respond in the moment of like how I recover. How do I respond internally? Mm. Do I still maintain the joy that brought me to this art form? Right. And honestly, you know, in my journey of it, there was a time when I was so in pursuit of perfection that, you know, I could be in front of people and I would rap and it sounds great to them and they're acting all big. And then I'm just dwelling on in your head about it. The mistakes that I made yeah. there, right? Yeah. And that joy of the experience is gone. Yeah. You know? That and I mean, okay, connecting freestyling to creating curriculum or teaching, it's like, okay, I could have written the perfect curriculum or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not in that moment, like freestyling invite is a practice that gives you brings you in the moment. Right. If I'm not capturing the vibe, the energy of that moment and making a connection, mm-hmm. to me, that's what it's about. Whether right. it's teaching or freestyling, it's being, and you, you can prepare for either one. You, you know, you get better, you practice. Yeah. Catching the emotion of it, like feeling, it's almost gets back to spirituality. It's feeling that sense of connection to spirit, that, yeah. that sense of oneness, that sense of like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's what's up. Yeah, that's what's up. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that, it gets to that uh, for sure. Um, what do I want to add um, onto that? I'm just thinking about that as it relates to power. Yeah. Right? And it's like mm. that piece of, oh, you said it, like cringe, right? Yeah. If you're avoiding that cringe, you're also avoiding like your true power, mm. right? Like Getting to that mastery level. I need to go level. tell my student that. Yeah, <laughs> getting to that mastery level. And, I, you know, it's classic Jungian psychology, hero's journey-esque, you know. Yeah, and I yeah, understand yeah. that folks have issues uh, with it. But really, it's transformation. If you're going to trans, like, if you're going to go to the next phase of, like, yourself, there is resistance. Yes. Right? And that resistance can be the cringe. Yes. Right? It's, that's when you come up against the 
power structures of the society that mm. gave you rules to stay within. Mm. And now that cringe is you like, uh, I don't want to be corny. Uh, I don't want to rock the boat. Uh, I don't want anybody's feelings to get hurt. It's like those rules, they're not necessarily bad rules. It's just, does it serve your transformation? Yeah. Right? Does, yeah. It, does, it, does it empower you to live with purpose, to take care of your needs, to right? To affect change, right? Yes. To, yes. to get to that power piece. If it doesn't, then why are you still abiding by those rules? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that's the fear piece, right? That's the, yeah. Yeah. the, you know, I don't want these bad things to happen if I step too far out of line. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? And and we try to comfort folks with like, well, you know, it won't happen. It's like, no, those bad things could possibly happen. Mm-hmm. But part of being alive, pain, yes. guilt, death, that's it. So yeah. if you're going to make your life meaningful and with joy, you recognize that like, oh, okay, well, I can't avoid these things. Yeah. So when I'm coming up against this rule that says, ah, if I do this, it's bad or something bad is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, one, is it absolutely true in this context mm-hmm. for one thing? Two, if I actually do that thing, what might I experience as far as it relates to pain, guilt, and death, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Three, am I actually going to die from it? Mm-hmm. Most cases and the things that you know we're doing in a classroom, you're not going to die, uh, but you might feel you know some uncomfortable emotions. Yeah. But then feeling those emotions and learning how to feel them becomes where your power lies. Yeah. To be able to move forward fully as yourself, self secure, and be able to stay in connection um, with people in the system, and thus change the system for the people it the system is supposed to serve definitely yeah going off that i think i want to set up the next story here we as teachers have more power than we realize i think and students have more power to tap into and shift things and we set up school a certain way and part of worth work is to to tap into creativity to do things a little differently and we have a cool story that um, from a couple of students who are college students now, they're sophomores studying sociology and um, community development. Um, I had a chance to interview them the other day and ask them about this, this event called Time to Talk. So my sophomore year, the end, the spring of 2018, um, we started to hear from admin that they were going to cut our or RJ coordinator out, our restorative justice coordinator, and everyone was pissed off. Every student was like, what the hell? Like, Nyanga, our RJ coordinator at the time, was super vital to our community. Everyone had relationships with him. And fast forward to December of 2018, um, I was in Gadbo's class, and he, he was pissed that day. He brought out um, this whole... I don't remember what it was. I think it was a contract that uh, PBS was putting out about increasing funds for student resource officers. And we were like, what the hell? Like, this is just a slap in the face. You're going to take away our RJ coordinator and you're going to increase SRO presence in the school. So from that point forward, um, we all, it was RJ Club, I think, that um, we started to plan and organize with Multnomah Youth Commission. Um, we decided to throw on an event centered around student voice because at that point it felt like 
none of the students were being held. But we decided to throw on an event and it was called Time to Talk. And the purpose of it was to center student voice and make sure that the adults listening were doing just that, only listening. Uh, we invited cops. <laughs> they showed up in their uniform and everything. Um, the SRO came. We invited uh, the PPS board members, uh, people from the mayor's office. Man, I can't remember. So you got some heavy hitters in here. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> some people um, in power. Yes, yes. A lot of people from PPS came, the district. Um, so everyone came into the library. We did our little intro. Um, eventually, everyone got split up into circles. So everyone walked in with a, a color, I think. They had a color card. And you had to go find the classroom that matched your color card. Mm -hmm. I do remember uh, emphasizing to the facilitators, like, this is a student space to speak. And even in the facilitation guide, it said, like, to say um, the adults, like, just pass the talking piece, pass the, mm. <laughs> pass the adults, just give it to the next student so they can talk. Um, this is not a space for the adults to be talking. This is a space for them to be listening and listening to the students' truth. And I, I led the debrief circle where all of us came together in the library again. And that was interesting. All the adults sat in like the inner circle and then the, each group sat behind them, sort of. So we were still all in a big circle, but the adults were in the middle. And I went, each adult had to stand up and share basically what, not what they interpreted, but what they heard. Yes. Um, and then they had to turn around to their group and say, did I get it? And if they didn't get it, like to the students, if they didn't get the gist of what they said, then the students would share out, no, you missed this, or I said this actually, or this is what I actually said. It was beautiful. Um, I heard from a lot of different students that they actually felt heard and that they got a space to talk about Nyanga and the loss of him. And then a couple weeks later, um, the principal at the time told us that she was gonna hire our own RJ coordinator for the school because of that event. Yeah, powerful stuff. It reminds me of what um, Elias, as we know him now, mentioned in one of our clips. One of the definitions of equity is adults getting out of the way. Yes. And uh, this is like a perfect example of that. And what happens when we actually empower our youth by just giving them our ability to listen. Listen and then create the space for them to create their vision, their dreams, let their mm -hmm. voice be heard, how they want to shape culture. Ultimately, right. the youth shape culture. Mm hmm whether we try to prevent it or not, right, <laughs> you right. know what I mean? They got that fire energy. Right. So this this is a, a really dope example of this. This was my first year at McDaniel's called Madison at the time. And this event flips the normal power structure. Students are teaching, talking, leading, adults listening, and then they have to report. Their homework <laughs> was to report out, okay, this is what I heard. And if they made, if they didn't get it, they got, you know, like, actually, this is what it was. So this is a type of creativity. This is the type of innovation that inspires me that I feel like I want to invite all of you listening into is 
how can we get creative? How can we invite student voice? How can we make these little shifts, these changes, take risks and, and, and have events like this that have a ripple effect on the community? Yeah. One of the things I've come to believe too is like, we need the youth's perspective because they haven't been conditioned by the system as long. Mm-hmm. Right? Dang. So we empower them. We need like to drop a bomb or something. <laughs> <laughs> we need a sound effect. Yeah, I know. Um, maybe a giant will hook that up. But yeah, and like, I'll say it again, though, if you want to hear it, yeah. hear it again, which is that we need the perspective of the youth because they have not been conditioned by the system as long as we have. And if we keep that in mind as adults, understanding, again, being self-secure enough to know, oh, one of the mistakes is thinking that we know everything and we can see more than our young fellow human beings. Yeah, That's one of the mistakes that we make. So if we're self-secure in that, like, okay, that's a mistake I, I could make. I don't want to make that mistake. So young person, how do you see it? And maybe they confirm how you saw it as an adult. That's fine. But having that exchange and asking that question and being there to listen creates the feeling what was, that was heard in that story, like they felt heard. Yes. And that feeling heard is part of the human connection that then allows for them when they eventually take over these positions and roles that we fill mm -hmm. to operate with a different sense of yes. how yes. school can be. Every day, every hour, it's always, I'm right, you're wrong, go to class, you can't be here, get out. That's that's what they're relaying to these students. And like, and then they wonder, why aren't the students in class? Right, check in with them. Yeah. Yes. Ask how they're doing. Yeah, so I think the first time that someone listened to me, I was like, oh, now I have to actually think about why I'm mad. Mm -hmm. Like, I had to step back. It's like, oh, you're being nice to me. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't just be rude how I usually am because you're actually asking me what's up. And like, that kind of just like walked me back and I was like, okay well, this is why I'm mad. Mm. And then we could actually talk and like communicate. And it was cool compared to when you're not listened to, then everything escalates in that. Power struggle. Yeah. I think we can, as teachers, create that sense of being heard in our classroom. Mm -hmm. And uh, to add on to that, in our whole school communities, if a student's not feeling heard, mm -hmm. where are they going to go? You know, the third place we were talking right, right, about. Right, right, you know, right. Maybe the hallways, a bathroom. But a lot of students can feel heard outside the classroom and, and participating in sports, theater, clubs. Right. At the same time, there's students who aren't going to connect with all of those. A place that used to be at McDaniel is called The Spot. Mm. Um, our man Elias, who we were just talking about, ran The Spot. And it was a place for students to come and feel heard, feel connected feel a part of the school community without having to be in a class. If you weren't in a place to go to class yet, you could go there, get your mind right, and then go to class. If you were, if you couldn't be in class, but you still wanted to do your homework, you could go there and do your homework. Right. If you, um, it was also a place that hosted all the cultural clubs. Mm -hmm. It was a place where we did Freestyle Friday. Yeah. Music was going down. You know, it was kind of, there was couches. It was comfortable to be in. Right. A vibe of, pure acceptance yeah and i'm we really i really miss that part of our school culture now 
So I think that they should also be focused on like why they're in the hallway and not in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Well, right. and also yeah. to piggyback on that, like what's going on in the classroom that's making it hard for you to stay in the classroom. Exactly. Yes. Getting to the heart of that. Yeah. Elias got a special place in my heart. Okay. <laughs> He just had a way of connecting with students and making you feel like a person. Mm. Rather than nobody like, else yeah. in the building. And did. the spot he would always emphasize was ours. Mm-hmm. He was just, his stuff was just there. He would always emphasize, like, this is your space. And it really was. It really was. And that's what made it feel like, that's why I miss it. That was the only spot in the building where I felt like, I belonged, I guess. Yeah. My classrooms were a hard place to be in that year, but I always had the spot to turn to. And it was like, it kept me in the building, too. Like, if I didn't want to be in my class, I probably would have just went home if I didn't have the spot. But going to the spot, even he would encourage, like, hey, you got work to do. That's the place I could do my homework or catch up on assignments, too. Definitely. But at the same time, we kicked it. We did puzzles. It was Freestyle Fridays in there. It was fun. I like how you mentioned that you, like, it kept us, like, in the building. Because I know, like, if we didn't have a place to kick it, I would leave and probably not come back for my other classes. Mm-hmm. So if I had an incident at 8 in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Feeling like you belong is definitely something that'll keep you in the building. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if there's no place like that, you're not going to want to be in the building. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, overall, with this episode on power, I'm inspired to, you know, both like what Bell Hooks talks about, interrogate my own fear of power. Mm -hmm. And I'm also inspired to share my empowerment with students and take some risks, you know what I mean? uh, Look for little opportunities to flip power on his head, you know, because I think what I've experimented with that in the past it's been, it's messy. <laughs> mm-hmm. It doesn't always work out, but sometimes there's like really beautiful things that come out of that. So I think that's where the heart of educating is for me. If I can keep doing that as a teacher, I'm going to stay teaching. Right. But if I, if that's not going to be an open door mm-hmm. to experiment, be creative, create platforms for students to share their truth in, in creative, expressive ways. Mm-hmm then I, you know, I'll have to like use my gifts in another way. Yeah. In another, uh, in another place of employment. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. No, I feel that. I think in talking about it for myself, I'm just still curious about like how we can create practices and policies that normalize Mm. power with and power to. Yes. And that's kind of what I do in the classroom. That's just like a grand experiment. I'm just like, how can I use my lim- my power the least, saying like what to do, how to do it, where to do it, and my power the most for waking them s- students up to themselves, yes. understanding that, you know, they have abilities and gifts and genius, right? And it's okay for them to express that and be in that, and it will get messy, and we'll still be able to stay connected through that. So... I mean, yeah, it's definitely the empower piece, but then just thinking about from a, like a day-to-day routine of like, how do we practice that consistently that allows that to become the culture that then they learn how to do it. Yeah. It's one thing for them to feel empowered, like, yeah, I had a great experience in Mr. Span's class. And then when they go to 
have positions of power. They just do what has ever is done in their institution as opposed to like, oh, actually, I learned how to bring more voices to the table. I learned how to, you know, have tough conversations. I learned how to facilitate amongst differences and have everybody feel connected. Yes. And like really teaching that transfer skills. Like, yes, we're doing it. And I want you to understand that you're learning how to do it when you're in a space where you're going to have people that you are working with and potentially leading in some way. Yes. So that's what I think. Yeah. And to end off, I mean, we just, we want to create a more just, beautiful, equitable world. And so I have um, this baseball cheer in my head just to end (laughs) it off. And it's like, you can insert anyone's name into where I'll say everyone. Mm -hmm. Come on, everyone, you can do it. Put a little power to it. P, P O, P O W E R. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And with that, We are out. We out. We go on to the next one. (laughs) All right. Welcome to Keywords and Phrases Freestyle Edition. Jesse, what are our keywords? Des, our keywords are power, empowered, culture, mistakes, practice, cringe, conversations, mastery, and connected. Oh, they hear the power and they want to cringe back on up. We at the hinge. I told you we got to stack it up because uh, they got it twisted. Thinking that we don't got it, that it ain't lifted and flicked it. I told you they use power to inflict the pain. Yeah, we kick it in a circle. It's powerful when we can jump over hurdles. It's powerful when we look inside, look to the sky, look to the earth. The power of rebirth, the power of how we can serve from the heart. The power when the dark going through the dark. Hitting the point Ah, hitting the point of the joint As I look over my shoulder I see power of the sun Coming in as it hangs over But I realize that it's more like Power for me within me To defeat the concept Of enemy, come on Yeah, the enemy of the name Yeah, the power of the game The powerful, how we gonna maneuver In the classroom, how we gonna bloom If we don't recognize our power soon So I own my power, own the cowards And then flip it, every day is a gift So why not live like it's gifted Uh, It's a dark, now you fallen Afraid, but that's okay We pick it up, it's just courage All day, and that's the conversation We having, here we go We ain't bragging, pants are up Or they sagging, but we still here Kicking it in action What's that Des? Yo, I'm listening That's the power in my ear like a diamond glistening Yeah, that's right When we really listen to each other We make sisters, we make brothers, we make family The power that's healing The power revealing uh, revealing that we have reached the end of the episode of the Worth Work Podcast. True. That was fun. <laughs> that was fun. Freestyling. All right. I'm Desmond Span. I'm Jesse the Imaginer. And as always, thank you for tuning in. Genius over doubt. All day. See you in the next one. Deuces. Peace. Power. 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 That's great. <laughs>